All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Precision Rifle Channel podcast. I am here with the one and only Miss Regina Milkovich. Regina, how are you today, dear? I am great. I got my my Cherry Coke Zero, which is my new addiction. So um, life is good for me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So for everybody out there in the Precision Rifle world, um, why don't we give them a quick bio, a quick rundown of kind of who you are, how you got started, so on and so forth. I mean, there's so many new shooters out there. Um, I'm sure there's some people out there that are still getting to know everyone. So That's true. Every match I go to, I seem to fit like 50% seems like they're brand spanking new. Um, I have been shooting for 10 years now. I think this is my 10th year competing, and I didn't have any of the let's grow up and shoot and have a good time stuff beforehand. I got handed a rifle, had a day at the range and the next day shot my first match. So, um, jumped in the deep end, so to speak right away. I am the only woman to have won two national level matches. So I'm still the only one with that title of even if it's just one, I guess I won NorCal in 2016 and I won KNM last year. So, um, so there's that. I help run the Arizona Long Range Precision Rifle Shooters Club. So uh, we host a match at Cowtown in Peoria, Arizona. We've been selling out every single month. We've got 80 shooters with a 20-person wait list. It's insane. I don't know what happened. Um, That's crazy. Somebody, they sprinkled pixie dust someplace, and the whole thing just blew up. So that wow. started in January. Um, we put on a match every year, I think, uh, it, we're doing going every other year. So 2020, we're hoping to get on the NRL schedule is what we've discussed as a club. Um, so we're hoping TPRC will be an NRL affiliated two day match in 2020. And awesome. I was the co-match director for that last year when we were affiliated with the PRS, I shoot for a whole slew of companies and I have to write them down or I'll offend somebody by not remembering to mention them. Um, the big ones this year are Vortex, Spartan Precision, I've shot for him since 2011. Uh, Macmillan Stocks, that's also where I work. So if you call the stock shop and have questions about a fiberglass stock, you're, you got a one in three chance of getting me. Um, and Timney Triggers, I've shot for them since 2011 as well. Uh, a bunch of other companies, though, that I shoot for that are all great, uh, mostly small businesses ran by good people. So I've, I like to try to keep as much as I can close to me, like in my neighborhood, kind of, so to speak, so in Arizona. Um, I help train and instruct uh, quite a bit, I'm trying to schedule a couple of ladies' classes this year with some instructors from around the country, um, Candace Horner and Melissa Gilliland out east, and Janae Frainer and I are trying to get our schedules lined up so we can maybe teach a class out west. So mostly looking towards helping ladies and getting more, getting more women and juniors into the sport. So having the classes oriented towards the females, I think is important to have those be specifically for them. We can kind of unscrew up their guns and get them focused on what they need to be doing and behind their guns properly where they can actually make impacts and go beat a bunch of boys when they go to the matches. There so, you go. That's it in a long, really long nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's amazing. You and I have been friends for several years and I've watched you shoot, you know, for the past four or five years, something of that nature. And you have really pioneered women in the shooting sports, or at least in our discipline, precision rifle. And you've always been a very strong advocate towards getting more women involved and um, woman power, so to speak, and, mm -hmm. and letting the females know that, hey, you know, even though there's a ladies division in a lot of the, you know, matches that you participate in, um, you're out there to win the whole thing. And you're more than capable of doing so. My th I think any of the women that are shooting today um, in anywhere in the country are capable of winning a match, whether it's in the NRL 22 or if they're shooting a national level series with center fire rifles, their local club stuff. I think a lot of the time we tend to downgrade our abilities and think that because something is uncomfortable, then we're not going to be able to excel at it when really all it takes is practice. Nobody's a natural born Nobody has naturally gifted talent except, I don't know, maybe Brousseau. Um, <laughs> he, even Jake Gilbert practices. Sure. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> even Jake practices. Jake and John Pinch both practice quite a bit. So there, there's a book called The Talent Code that Lindy Sisk told me to pick up uh, years ago. 
And it essentially says there's absolutely no such thing as waking up one day and being this a brilliant mathematician or the best bowler out there, or Tiger Woods or whatever. It takes practice and skill and goal setting. So any of those women can do it. I think we just kind of, we tend to bag on ourselves a little bit more than even the guys do about mistakes and misses rather than congratulating ourselves for where we're doing things right and have that negative self-defeating mindset. I'm guilty of it too. I do it at every match. I upset about missing something and forget that I should be remembering that I made a really good win call on the one hit that I got or a found a way to be really stable on on a prop instead of going, why did they make a shoot off a really thin piece of plywood? Why couldn't they make a better prop and complaining about everything? So focusing on the positive, I think a lot of people don't do that very much. And we are all really good at, we're super good at bashing ourselves. So I, I think, yes, women, competitive women are definitely from my experience, very hard on themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very hard on each other. But at the same time, when there's an achievement, whether you know it's a personal achievement or a, a national title, uh, you're all very supportive of each other at the same time. I mean, there's even, um, you know, you guys even talk to each other a lot more than I think the guys do when you know that you're going to a match and how to prepare and kind of help coach and guide each other along um, in ways that, a lot of the guys don't do that. Well, we also tend to stay out of the drama. Um, and I don't know why, man, this sport has got so much drama around it. And it's not even just Facebook or Instagram. It, sniper's hide. It's a whole bunch of people very aggressively arguing with each other about something that they agree on. Like they're, they're, I don't know. It's like two pit bulls fighting over the the same thing that they, I mean, totally agree on the, whatever the subject is, but they're violent about it. And the girls stay out. We just kind of watch and we have our own little private group where occasionally we get a little bit of drama going on in there, but not usually much. And that's where the guys I think miss out in some respects, because we are really supportive on there. Um, we open it up to questions that any of the women want to ask and we don't let any guys into that little private, it's a private Facebook group for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about. It's secret. Um, <laughs> it's like the worst kept secret in precision rifle shooting. <laughs> right. But, but I mean, we have all kinds of cool questions on there and stuff that you wouldn't expect from how do you defeat a barricade that is made for a six foot tall man to what type of underwear do you wear when you go to a match that's in the Southeast where it's really muggy? So, I mean, a very broad range of topics, but very things broad. that are valid. So <laughs> no, none of the women are going to be like, hey, I'm going to go on the NRL members page and ask what kind of chonies I should be wearing in Mississippi. But on that one, they could. So get a nice, right. valid answer. And if you so. did ask that on the NRL members page, you'd probably get all kinds of answers yeah. you don't want. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We would get a ton on there. Uh, we've coordinated uh, going to matches like squatting and uh, questions about which matches should you go to as a beginner. Um, there's all kinds of good stuff on there for for the women. And I really want that to be specifically ladies oriented so that they have a safe place to go and ask questions. Tons of people help juniors. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's PRS, NRL, whatever. Tons of people offer advice and right. will go out of their way to help the juniors. Because we, we know, I think as a group, we understand that that's our future. But some of the women get forgotten or they get the guy who has the completely inappropriate answer for a, a lady who's wondering, like, like Philip and I both were on the same track about length of pull a couple months ago, back in December, January. Well, there are guys that they don't answer that stuff correctly. They maybe they don't understand the mechanics of a five foot one woman trying to get behind her husband's rifle who's six foot two. They're not physically possible. It's not physically possible for them to properly get behind their gun if they're shooting their husband's rifle. So they need to make modifications. And sometimes people don't exactly know how to articulate that where as well, women, we understand it. So Exactly. But that also brings up a, a very good point. We're going to do a little bit of a NRL sponsor plug here. But McMillan, where you work, you guys, you and Brittany McMillan actually just developed a new stock 
specifically for women and youth shooters that has a shorter length of pull, correct? And for shorter dudes, because um, yeah, I mean, if you're under, if you're five foot ten and under, your length of pull is probably wrong. Um, if you've been running thirteen and a half inches forever, it's probably wrong. And you've wondered why your gun hops off, and you tried working through fundamentals. Well, there's a good chance that your length of pull's too long. Um, I thought mine was thirteen and a half forever. I'm five nine, so it's like I got long arms. It should totally be thirteen and a half. I measured. 13. So for years, I was making modifications to stocks to adjust the fitment when really what I needed to do was kind of chop that off. My hand is also smaller, so I can't reach the trigger to get a 90 degree. So it's getting cramps in my hands, trying to build my hand out in front of the palm swell. Chassis didn't work. Nothing fit my hand right. So I would build it out with Marine Tech. So actually, Joe Ducos would build, build it out for me. Right. And then I'd paint the stock. And on a couple of them, I moved the action back, inlet back to try to bring it closer to that grip. Um, the A10, what we did was build the grip forward and inlet the action back. So we made up a lot of that space where smaller hands can get a true 90 degree. At the SHOT Show, it was mostly guys checking out the stock. And every one of them said the same thing, that it had a more natural feel, that it puts your hand in the right placement consistently every time. So when you break the trigger, break your shot with your trigger finger, you're going to go back to the same spot every time after you cycle your bolt, which was really important to me, getting that grip part fixed. The uh, the nice little boon to it was that we could also shorten the length of pull-up. So juniors and ladies and smaller guys it would fit them better so but I mean, we've got tall guys at bottom too tim tim wants one my husband um, who's also a shooter and rob latham ordered one um because he's getting really big into prs and nrl stuff we're gonna get him to an nrl match nice. that dude's a hoot um sorry i was off but a, a lot of really tall full-size dudes want it also because of the way the hand placement so We'll see how it how it does in the overall. I know they've had quite a few go through the shop already, and we've taken quite a few orders on them, mostly for ladies. But um, I was afraid, and Brittany was afraid, that it would end up getting marketed just towards women and juniors, when it's really not just for not just for them. It's just smaller statured people in general, I would think. Well, and it makes perfect sense because if you look at any type of professional sport, let's take golf for example. You know, golf, they have golf clubs that you can go buy off the shelf and, you know, 90% of the time they're not going to fit you. But if you get serious about the sport, you go have golf clubs custom fit to your mm -hmm. stance and your body, your height, so on and so forth. And that's exactly what you're doing is you're helping provide another option for people that are maybe of a smaller stature to make it more comfortable for them to be more proficient and accurate with their precision rifle. Exactly. I don't want to see him fighting. And the last year or two, I have noticed more and more I'm watching how people get behind their guns. Um, not even necessarily prone, because prone, that's easy to spot. You see people can it off like little green army men. You know that they're not going to be able to see where their shot goes. Right. It's really hard to have good follow through when you're can it off and your gun hops. But watching somebody on a barricade, and they don't realize that it's the, the exact same mechanics going off a barricade off of any of the props that we shoot off. And God, we got a bazillion props these days. But if they're canned off, it um, it's not always necessarily that their fundamentals are flawed. It may be that they can't physically get behind their gun right because the length of pulls off. Or it's too long for them. It's too heavy for them. This trend for everybody to want heavy rifles to mitigate recoil. Well, if you're a hundred pounds and five foot tall it doesn't make any sense for you to have a 20 pound rifle because you're i mean it's a fifth of your body weight you're going to try to haul that around over a hundred yard sprint for one of our crazy obstacle courses at one of the ranges that makes that much more difficult for them to be able to do that where a 200 pound guy with a 20 pound rifle no problem right. they're not going to have nearly as much issue so i get the heavy rifle thing but i don't get it you know i don't know if that makes sense but no it makes complete sense i think you know one of the biggest things that people have to realize is there's always going to be a trend in our sport you know something yeah. new is going to come out every six months whatever it is but i think the most important thing is staying true to what works best for you 
regardless of what the new craze is. So if you're perfectly fine and perfectly accurate with the setup that you have now, and unless there's an absolute need to change it, I wouldn't change it personally. Me either. You know, if, <laughs> if I have, you know, a, a, a fancy race car from the 90s and I can drive that thing better than most people can drive their new car, there's no reason for me to buy a new car, right? Yep, I agree. I mean, in some cases, there's some advancements. Um, for the for the most part, though, we are just as guilty as any other trend. You know, Cabbage Patch dolls and Beanie Babies, we're just like that with, ooh, 6.5 Creedmoor, ooh, 6 Dasher. What, did, what were they using when they won that? I need to have that, too. What scope were they using? What reticle were they using? Yeah, um, that's not what makes you win a match, though. That if you... The guys that are winning matches, if they tell you it's their equipment that got them there, they're lying. That's totally not it. It's hours and hours and hours of practice, usually with a two-two-three, not with their competition rifle, because if they're like me, with the when the barrel shoots good, that thing sits in a corner and is babied, and you only take it out for <laughs> matches. You know, verify your dope and then take it to a match. Everything else is done with a two-two-three or a three-zero-eight or a backup gun or something. But it's it's rounds and rounds and rounds downrange that make you a better shooter. So if anything, spend more money on quality components rather than trying to chase the latest and greatest in, in gear. A tripod is not going to make you a top 10 shooter. Learning how to shoot off of one might be, though. So that might right. be something. But owning it, really cool to own one. I love mine, and I use the, I use the heck out of them. But having one doesn't make me a better shooter it's just knowing how to use the gear that you have and limiting that you don't need eight bags to to build a solid position um you have a couple that you use all the time and you know that they work especially if something's universal and can be used for more than one thing learn how to use one bag and make that work for you learn how to shoot without a bag nobody can seems to be able to do that anymore Learn how to shoot without a bag that's quite a skill jacob bynum told me to do that a long time ago and i keep saying i'm going to practice it but. Well, and it's like what you're saying is get the skill set before you start changing things up. If you can't yeah. shoot off of it, then there's no reason to buy it. So learn how exactly. to shoot off it before you go buy it. Yeah, you know? exactly. And well, it's like, well, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, it's like the bag thing. You know, you see some guys running around with enough bags to build a bed and go to sleep on the range if they want. And then you see people that carry, you know, one or two bags and it just, to me, you know, I've been at matches where you and I've been in the same squad and I carry, you know, one rear bag and one uh, pump pillow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you even offered, to, you know, I, I think we were at a match you offered to let me borrow your uh, your fortune or your mini fortune cookie. And I was like, I, I don't want to use it because I don't know how to use it. And you gave me a, a quick, like, five-minute rundown on how to use it. And I used it and it was great, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I've started practicing with it, but it, I didn't, you know, without knowing how to use it, I wouldn't have went out and got one just because it was the cool bag at the time. Right. And that makes sense. And, um, we spend an awful lot of money on support gear, which is cool. Support the sponsors. Cause they're the ones that are, you know, they donate and they provide a lot of the nice things that we have. Um, but you don't necessarily have to go out and buy it right away. Somebody at a match is going to have it, then we'll let you play with it or try it on a stage. Um, I shot a match in March, and my good friend Tony Paulskill said, you need to use this bag that I won't name. And I said, I don't want to use it, Tony. I've never used that before. And he's like, well, you're going to clean the stage if you do, and if you don't, you're not. I'm like, well, I don't believe you. And I had plans to go shoot off my bipod, and I changed my mind last minute and used his bag, and I'll be damned if he didn't convert me. <laughs> he was totally right. It was very stable. I was I was wrong. Um, but it took a couple minutes to, to figure out you know, exactly how to make that work for me. I was really nervous going up to shoot that stage, but because everybody gets nerves too, but you're right. I mean, if, if you go, if trying something new in a match is like the worst thing you could ever do, but we all do it. Somebody says that at every match that you go to, Oh God, don't try anything new at a match. Usually it's right after they tried something new in a match. So, um, <laughs> right. I mean, we think of club matches as being where to try out new gear, uh, where to try out new techniques. Um, 
try to work on our pace or speed. They're organized practice is how, uh, I mean, that's how we refer to them. And the Milkovich household is uh, matches or organized practice, mostly because we can help write the stages. So if there's, that's Daisy saying hi. If, um, if there's something that we want to work on, then we throw it in the match or say, hey, we want to work on this, whatever, off this prop. Can we get a smaller piece of steel out? And then we shoot it in the club match and everybody hates us. So that's how we come up with stage names. Yeah, but at the same time, if you're not constantly pushing yourself, you're not going to get better. And those in your club, you know, you have some very talented shooters that participate in your club matches. Um, a lot of those guys are, are, you know, shooting at the topper, top, topper that's not what i meant to say at the higher <laughs> end <laughs> you know at the higher end of the rosters when you see them at matches so i think a lot of that has to do with having challenging club or practice matches because otherwise if you practice what you're comfortable with all the time you're not going to get better at the stuff that you suck at yep that's true that's very true and that's i think that that's why club matches exist people when they go out to practice they always say oh, i'm gonna or like when they go out with a group i should say because um, if I go out by myself, I'm working on one thing and I stay pretty focused. But if I go out with a group of people, we end up BSing the whole time. And then you practice all the stuff that you like to do. And then you're like, oh, look at the time. I got to go do laundry or whatever. And you realize that you completely forgot that what you really wanted to work on was shooting off of a tank trap of all the tips of the tank trap to be able to clean a six inch piece of steel at 400 yards in 90 seconds you never even got close to coming near the tank trap. So um, having a match where you actually have a little bit of stressors and you got other people watching you, in my case, throwing me off and they put a camera in my face and I turn like, turn into Ricky Bobby. Um, <laughs> but it, I think that, that the organized practice of a club match helps fine tune a lot of that stuff. I mean, you get the, the actual match pressure, not just going out and, playing in a field someplace right i agree i agree so yeah. to jump back to a topic that we touched base on earlier you you've been in the sport for 10 years now when you first started off can you remember how many women or i mean can you even count how many women were participating in the sport three and do you, are those three still participating um it was me jesse dusart and this lady named trina who was from the East Coast. And Trina doesn't, I don't think she shoots anymore. Jesse's done a couple of club matches, but she's not like on the circuit anymore. Okay. So yeah, but that was it. So 10 years ago, we had three women. You're the only one that's still actively shooting in national level matches. Mm -hmm. And now there's, I, I can't even count how many women that are participating in the sport. Oh, we got a ton. There's 120 women in that ladies group. That all, active, uh -huh, that all actively compete on some level or another. Either they're doing 22 matches or they're shooting guardian matches, um, steel safari, doing the competition dynamics, NRL, PRS, um, just staying local because some of them haven't actually stepped up to a two-day yet, so they're still shooting like border wars or, or regional series matches. So yeah, there's a lot. That's a lot awesome. of ladies out there. So uh, that growth level has been insane. And I know that there's more out there. I just haven't met them yet. Because <laughs> if I meet them or any of the ladies in the group know them, then they send an invite. So, um, so I'm sure that there's probably at least another 50 or so more out there someplace. So that, that is phenomenal. So where do you see the sport as far as from a woman's perspective? I know for, you know, the past couple of years, you and I, every time you, you take a top position in a match, I always congratulate you, top lady, you know, top five, top three, whatever it is. And your comment to me has always been, yeah, but I, I want the overall. Mm -hmm. Do you think in precision rifle in the sport, the way it sits today, <clears throat> that we should continue to have a ladies division? Or is it something that we should just combine into the regular open class and, you know, uh, age, sex, religion, none of that stuff matters. What you shoot is what you shoot and everyone plays in the same field. No, I don't. I, I think that there should continue to be a ladies division. I think that 
it goes back to goal setting. So for a woman who's just starting out and they're shooting their first couple of matches, they can set that goal to be, I want that high lady trophy. I want to try to shoot well enough, place well enough to beat the other women that are here. Cause now it's not like when I started where maybe I was the only girl shooting in a match when I didn't need to have my own division if I was the only one <laughs> and Jesse didn't either. So I think the first match we had where there were more than, more than three, two of us there's three ladies that was the first match that had a high lady trophy and we we're like oh great it's three of us whatever um but now you can get a match there's 19 women shooting so it's warranted then they we have our own actual field right. to compete against just like the tactical guys and um military guys they they have their own ability to have bragging rights in there so if you're setting a goal that's a great first goal to be I want to I want to be the high lady of this match. And after you do that a few times, then maybe you go I think I could probably break the top 5. I want to go try to get a top 5 trophy. And once they do that, then all bets are off. Then it's I want that overall. I want to win. I want to beat everybody. So no, I don't think they should get rid of it yet. And I agree with you, but I'm always interested in a woman's perspective. Um part of, you know, when the NRL and NRL 22 and all that stuff was developed. You know, we wanted to make sure that we gave a platform for the ladies to be recognized because they're such an emerging segment of the sport that we want to entice as many females that we can and youth, obviously Mm -hmm. to participate in the sport. And like you said, the 120 plus women now is, is phenomenal. Yeah. Now, what do you say, to a young lady a lady who comes up to you and says hey regina i want to start but i don't know what the hell i'm doing um i would say that we need to get them in a class so i think that that's the best way to go uh if there isn't one that they can afford or one that's close then try to find them a club that's close to them and somebody within that club that will be willing to um mentor them because it doesn't always have to be another female that's in the club. We've got tons of guys that are open to it who want their wives and girlfriends to get into the sport. So they've been actively coaching, finding somebody that's willing to mentor them is super important. I mean, Phil Vallejo has gone out of his way with a whole bunch of these women um, to, he does like FaceTime lessons with them and stuff. So it's out there finding somebody to, to help guide them and, send videos back and forth, ask questions, get advice. That's usually the scariest part and encourage them to, to not be afraid to go shoot their first match. It's super intimidating with guys that have lots of experience, but I don't think that that's uniquely female or even for the juniors. Um, That's everybody. You go to the first match and you feel overwhelmed. Go there with a, say a Ruger with a Viper or something and a bipod and you maybe got a sand sock and you show up and somebody's there with a six or seven thousand dollar rifle and a whole bunch of gear and a tripod and a spotting scope and binos and they're pulling stuff out from mary poppins backpack and they just got tons of stuff um that's really intimidating for somebody coming in so um a lot of what i think i would probably say is to not be so nervous and to ask questions so asking questions and there's a lot to be said also for being quiet. So not saying anything at all and just listening and observing. I know that the first few years people didn't really take any notice of me or pay attention to me, but man, I got all their wind calls. I knew their strategy. I heard all kinds of stuff <laughs> just sitting there being quiet. So how to, how to shoot off of a particular prop or what the wind was doing and how to tell, um, how to read the mirage correctly on targets that were at 1100 yards or whatever what they were going to start at and what caliber they had and what speed they were going. There's a lot to be said for just shutting up sometimes. I I agree. And that's why I really like the idea of people going to a club match first or um, ROing at a club match or, or just watching and following along their buddy or their friend or whoever, you know, got them interested in the sport is yeah. just seeing if it's even something that you can – physically and mentally are even excited about doing because everybody well not everybody but a lot of people you know they like the idea of it 
but then actually seeing what it takes and entails um, kind of takes the Hollywood out of it, if that makes yeah. sense. Yep. Yeah. Well, nobody posts their crappy stages on the internet. So uh, maybe not everybody. I don't. I don't know if story screw up. It'd probably be a good idea if I did and explain why I did. But yeah, you're right. There's a lot of Hollywood with that because we like looking good. Everybody likes looking good. Of course. And shooting club matches are perfect for that because you can get a, you can get one-on-one mentorship without people realizing that you're being mentored. Um, our club, the way that we've been setting up our club matches, because they're so big now, every stage is 90 seconds and the okay. squads are 10. So we assign a basically a squad mom, but really it's kind of one of the pro club pro shooters and semi pro shooters. So we ask everybody if they think that they're, if they're brand new, it's their very first match. If they're an amateur, a semi pro or a pro. So people that we know that have been shooting with us a lot, they're at least a semi pro or a pro. So we put at least two of them on every squad. And then if they have five or six new people with them or seven or eight new people with them, then they can do that one-on-one sort of mentorship on the clock um, where we're helping people like I had two people on my squad in what month is this April in March that timed out right as they ran the bolt forward but they hadn't cammed it down right so it's on time bolt back Meg out and they just pulled their bolt back they didn't realize neither of these two realized that you had to actually close a bolt all the way to get the round to eject so they could have walked off the line with a hot gun and not realized it so it was a teaching moment for them, but where I actually got to feel like the Easter bunny because <laughs> when the round came out, they were more surprised than anything that there was still a round in there. There's a lot to be said for learning safety at those club matches and where to point your muzzle, um, how to carry your gear around the range. All of those things are in a much less stressful environment than a two-day match because it's a club level, it's much more laid back. It's like hanging out with your friends, but none of us want to look down the business end of a muzzle either. So right. um, that I think that that's really the the ground for learning good, good habits before you go on to compete at a national level. So and, do a lot of that too. <laughs> and I agree, you know, safety is a huge, huge topic of discussion nowadays. Um, there's been some instances in the past couple of months um, that have been all over social media about safety issues and things of that nature. And it, it's true, you always have to have safety in mind, but we find that people that attend a certain amount of matches or that are constantly shooting, they become more and more relaxed. Complacent? Complacent, yes. <laughs> yeah. Which is, excuse me, scary and dangerous at the same time. Um, and so I, I think, you know, over time, uh, over the next couple of months, you know, it'll progressively hopefully get better and people will start to realize um, that when we're at a match, we're all safety officers and we all need to take responsibility. And I mean, we've been at matches, you and I, and, you know, I was standing there and I had my rifle, uh, my, you know, my chamber open and I had my rifle uh, sitting down and I had my hand over my barrel and you, you know, you called me out on it. And I had really never thought about it, but yes, at that point I was flagging myself and I was completely unsafe. And that yep. was just me being complacent and relaxed with holding my rifle, which is a big error and a bad example on my part. My, my favorite safety brief of any match director anywhere in the country is Jacob Bynum's. He drives that point home. You know, I don't care if your rifle is in pieces and is components and all you have is the action in your hand, no bolt in it. You're just holding the bolt. Everything's out of it. Firing pin spring, there's nothing to it. It's just the shell of your bolt. That to me should be considered a firearm. If you treat it as if it's loaded, you're never going to point the business end at somebody when it is loaded right you know if it's well i mean unless like you actually want to shoot them but i <laughs> i like all my friends i don't want them to be muzzled or me to be muzzled it's a huge pet peeve of mine lately watching people with their muzzle discipline 
I don't know when suitcasing became a, a huge thing. Um, I had said something about that in a group the other day and got a PM because the person I was talking to didn't understand what I meant by that. Suitcasing, I don't mean you have it in your rifle case, it's zipped up and you're carrying it about the range in a safe manner by the handle that is on your large uh, soft case. I don't mean that. Um, what I mean is carrying it by the scope where the muzzle is pointing at everybody's knees because it's still a rifle round and velocity still kills. You shoot me in the leg, there's probably a good chance I'm going to die. And I don't really want to die, so don't point your freaking muzzle at my leg. Point straight up or straight down. If you're carrying it with a sling rather than carrying it resting on your shoulder, we had a guy in our club point out that people that were carrying their rifles on their shoulders, while they weren't pointing at a direct 90 degree, they were angled as such that when they walked down a hill, they had the potential to muzzle the person behind them who was walking behind them. We hadn't even thought about that. So we really like stepped up our safety at our club matches because of that, because of things that we'd noticed around the country. Um, NDs and people talking about ADs, in my mind, there's no such thing. It's negligent. You didn't mean for that gun to go off. Whether it was your hand grazing the trigger or a slam fire, you did not intend for that round to go downrange. You're still responsible for it. Like Frank Galley said the other day, you are responsible for it until it lands. Wherever it lands, that you, that you are tied into that bullet. So if you're not willing to accept that, then keep your rifle at home. Stay at home. Don't shoot anymore, cause, or at least don't shoot with me, because I don't want your muzzle pointed anywhere near me. People who ND, I've done it at a match. That was the end of my match. Um, I know quite a few people who've who've done that at matches. It's a match DQ for us. We don't do any of the stage DQ stuff. I have a real problem with stage DQs because if I let you, if you have an ND on a stage at my match, you torch a round off. You didn't mean for it to, it went 30 feet to the right or whatever. It may have been in a safe direction it may have even hit the target. I don't care. You didn't intend for that round to go off. If I give you a stage DQ and you go down two stages down and you do the same thing, only this time it hits somebody, I'm responsible because I let you continue to shoot. So screw stage DQs. It's a match DQ. Our club started in a range that was in the middle of a city park. So that's always been one of our rules. I've never been comfortable with stage DQs for negligent discharges. To me, that you you are responsible you should know that at that point time to pack it up and go home go to dairy queen get a blizzard tell all your friends about it use it as a learning experience come back to the next match and do great things but your match that day would be over um the muzzling thing after a match that i went to recently and got muzzled so many times i lost count um our, I came back and said our club is changing things because we don't necessarily set our rifles up always in the safest setup. I mean, sometimes they're pointing at each other. The muzzles are pointing close to each other. So fine. If you muzzle yourself or somebody else, it's a match DQ. Don't do it. So right. we're going to teach these guys on the ground level how to be safe with their firearms. I don't want anybody getting hurt. Those lovely pieces of paper that we sign at matches that say, I'm not going to hold you responsible, nice match director, if I shoot myself in the foot um, or if my round goes off and I shoot my buddy. So those, that's, that, those pieces of paper are really nice fire kindling at that point because you're still going to get sued and it's, your life is still not going to be what you thought it was going to be. So take, it, take those firearms liability forms that we all sign. They're, they, they're a feel good. They make us feel good. But that not going to matter if somebody gets sued because somebody got hurt. And the first time that somebody does it at this point, I don't think it's an if, I think it's a when somebody gets really hurt. We're going to feel it on the West coast more than anywhere else where we have a hard time finding ranges to shoot at to begin with. So we're asking landowners to let us use their facilities. Well, they're not going to want to let us do that. If they think that there's even the slightest chance that somebody could get killed or hurt on their property where they end up being liable because it was their facility. So um, I just want everybody to be safe all the way around and I'll call anybody out. I see doing it at this point. I've been called on that about not telling people seeing something and not saying something. Well, that, that ended in March. So 
if I see rest in your hand on your muzzle, I'm going to ask you why you hate your hand. Um, if all guns are always loaded, then that gun it should be con considered loaded. If I hear you tell me that you have a chamber flag in or your gun's not loaded, I'm going to argue that point because all guns are always loaded. If you don't like your hand that much and you're willing to destroy it, that's a personal issue. But just go down a way so I don't have to see you muzzling your hand. Well, so. Or better yet, don't do that at a national <laughs> don't do match. It. <laughs> don't do it at any match, man, even if you're right, out practicing. Right. <laughs> so good habits breed good behavior. So if you are continuously doing it all the time, there's much less chance that you're going to screw up at a big match. So um, in setting, th setting things up, setting up areas, staging areas for rifles, that's what's, that's been a big topic also. I think it's brilliant. I don't know why we don't do that more, why we don't have like a tape or um, spray painted areas where you know this is where your rifle needs to be staged. Don't touch your rifle while it's here. Put your packs over here five or 10 feet away so that everything's not all clustered together. But you got a staging area for your rifle. So if you're the on-deck shooter, that is the only time you should be going up messing with your rifle. After that, step away, take your rifle up, shoot the stage when you're done, put it back to zero, set your gun back down in the staging area. And then stay away from it until it's time to move to the next stage. Then people aren't tripping over your guns. We don't have a bunch of people touching rifles. And I think that would make that much more uh, a much safer environment where some of our shooters would feel safer. Because these new guys are coming in and they're seeing all these bad habits and they think they can get away from get away with it too. And then they're the ones that are arguing, well, is it really an ND? Yeah, it's really an ND. It doesn't matter if it was two feet off the target, two inches off the target, hit the target. If it went over the berm, it's an ND if you did not mean for that round to go down range. Right. So I think that I don't I don't know where some of this where the complacency came in, but it's it breeds. There are people like no no no, it's cool, man. It's all right. No, it's not cool, dude. Totally not cool. Anyway, and it's my and rant for the day. <laughs> no, but it's I mean, it's a great point. I mean, this year the NRL was very fortunate to be able to bring on rifles only in Jacob Bynum. And as, as you know, but as many people may not, our board of directors is our match directors. And one of the rules that Jacob wanted to add to our 2019 season was that if you muzzle anybody, it's a DQ. And mm -hmm. we never thought about it as a board previously until he had mentioned it. And as soon as he had mentioned, excuse me, as soon as he had mentioned it, it was unanimously voted and, and agreed upon. So, you know, the NRL now, if you're muzzling somebody, it doesn't matter if it's during a course of fire or if you're walking from your car to the match or vice versa or whatever, it's a DQ. Yep. You know, yeah. and our sport is is still at somewhat of its infancy. Uh, it's We're still growing. And if we don't implement these rules and these regulations now, it's only going to get worse. And like you said, it's not a matter of if, but when there's a catastrophic, you know, event that somebody gets hurt or whatever it is, which, you know, I knock on wood, it doesn't happen. But the way that the trend is right now, it's more likely to happen than not. Yeah. I mean, you've heard the stories too, though. There, the guy who comes off the line, he dropped his mag, whatever, he goes to his truck and closes his bolt and pulls the trigger before he puts it in the case and shoots a hole through his truck. Or um, in one case in Texas, guy timed out, had his bolt forward, but not all the way down, pulled it back, dropped his mag, got off the line, packed his rifle up, went back to the hotel, sat around drinking beers with his buddy, gets a good night's sleep, comes back to the range the next morning, goes down to shoot the first stage at 100 yards. They're going to shoot a, shoot a little dot, whatever it is. And the range, the range officer says, that's cool. Go ahead and uh, dry fire, you guys. Got 30 seconds to dry fire. Close the bolt, pull the trigger. Oh crap! I had a round in it overnight. So, um, and it's not like these are ones and twosies. This this stuff happens all the time, and right. these happen all the time. Way more than it should for oh, a I've, sport with these powerful rifles that could kill. Right. <laughs> it's insane. It's yep. And I I think a lot of the complacency in our sport is because we haven't had anything bad happen yet, and. I, w I would love if when I retire from this sport, I haven't seen anything happen yet. That that would be a little dream come true. Nobody got hurt. Um, 
I have heard Jacob's safety brief a lot because I've taken training classes there and he runs about the same, give or take a few examples. <laughs> it's about the same. So it, and he repeats it because it works. We all make the same mistakes. You know, he's like, look on Google, Google unloaded firearms accidents or whatever it is that he says. And almost every single one that he, he says he finds on there are, it was an unloaded gun. Somebody was cleaning their unloaded gun and shot their baby or whatever. Right. And I think we, we don't think about that. And th that I'm sure is why my, I have that pet peeve. Don't tell me your gun's unloaded when you're pointed at me. Yeah. Cause as far as I can tell it is, I don't care. Oh, you don't have a trigger in it. That's still a loaded gun to me. I don't want you pointing it at me. So yeah. Um, and it's better to be strict or more anal about it now than mm -hmm. afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. Know. Absolutely. Because then then you become an example. Do you, <laughs> I don't want to be the example in somebody's safety brief. Right. I, I, wanna, I would rather get um, reamed for having my muzzle come in close to breaking a 180 by somebody like Tino, who's really hardcore on safety. We give that guy such a hard time, but he, he's a great RO because of that. He he's super strict on it. Like you break a 20 degree, you're getting barked at by Tino to keep your muzzle down range. But we need more people who are strict like that rather than the ones who are not maybe paying attention so well. And I don't know, speaking of that, I don't know why there's such a big RO shortage because that's like, that's a blast. How, why would you not want to RO? You can go hang out at a match, make fun of people all day, drink heavily, go back to, to go make or fun of people the next day the with a hangover. And yeah, I mean, that's like the, that's all of the party with none of the work. So there's a good chance you still get a shot at a prize table. Um, but there, there's so much win to be in an RO. I don't understand why more people don't do it. And if you're oh, new, it's a great time to learn because you get to watch what all these experienced guys are doing. You can start watching um, impacts down range if you're spotting, which will teach you more about wind, call than, wind calling than you will ever learn behind the gun on your own in your first two years. Yep. Watching trace is amazing. You can tell it start. If you sat on a spotting scope all day at a match, you would be able to tell if somebody was going to miss, well, maybe it's just me. I can tell if somebody's going to miss shooting off a barricade before they even pull the trigger. When they hit, I'm surprised because sometimes their fundamentals are a little flawed. Um, <laughs> but if you're in a spotting scope and you're watching, you can watch the round go down by the trace and tell that they're going to miss beforehand or call an impact before it even hits the steel, which is cool as shit. So, um, so yeah. So if you're thinking about shooting a match and you're not sure, go RO, kids. It's it's seriously like you get a free t-shirt. Sometimes you get free alcohol if the match director is really cool. Like if it's Ty, um, well, because Ty, Ty, Ty Rainer. Like Ty and, and the NRO for our championship matches, we even pay for the hotels. Sweet. Yeah. That, so if you that's come, golden, man. Yeah. If you come RO the NRO championship or NRO 22 championship, we pay for your hotel. You get a shirt. Uh, we pay for your meals. You know, I'll usually buy a round or two of alcohol, you know, one night or whatever. Um, we treat ROs as gold because without them, you can't have a successful match. Uh-uh. Nope. No, they, uh, they're not happening without ROs. And if I think if match directors got really smart, they'd say if we don't have enough volunteers to RO, then we are not holding the match. So um, for us, we started two months before we opened registration and the Arizona bunch of Arizona guys wanted to shoot our rule for years was no Arizona people can shoot our match. So we expected them to RO that's, that's your job as a club member. That's how you give back in return. Right. We will run all the stages for the three to four months before the match. You can shoot them. Then we'll have our own prize table and awards, but um, give back to the community by being an RO. And some of them really hated it, but they did it anyway. And last year, we a bunch of people begged. Um, Tim and Matt both said, nope, no Arizona guys. And I said, well, why don't we set a limit on the ROs? So let's say we get 50 ROs. If we have 50 people volunteer, we can let some Arizona people shoot. So I told the Arizona guys that. And we got 65 people to RO. So our RO list was full before we opened registration. And That's awesome. We, 
we paid for their hotels. We bought them food. Um, they got to run at the prize table. So they got some cool stuff too. Um, we had guys that came from Texas and California to come out to help borrow, which was also really cool. Um, we had a good group of people. And because I, I don't know how to phrase this right. I, I don't, I guess because we're so fortunate out here, I don't necessarily understand why other parts of the country have such a hard time having people that are shooting for score, not being okay with leaving the rifle at home one weekend and ROing and it, giving back a little bit to the community. Because if you're shooting 10 or 15 matches a year, you owe the community a little bit back. I mean, they, the match directors can provide absolutely everything. And mm -hmm. the only way that you're going to be safe and have a good score and trust what the spotter is saying is maybe if you step away from your gun for a weekend and get behind a spotting scope and call impacts. Because if some of the top shooters were behind a spotting scope, I'm not questioning them. There's no way I'm going to say, I think you missed my impact. I think that might have been an edge hit. We're not going to get away with it if it's some top shooter in the country. Somebody in the top 50 and anywhere in the country, no way am I going to argue with you. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> I know you know what you're looking at. And you're going to tell me, no, you missed half an inch off or you were half an inch high and it went behind the target. And that's why you didn't see it. And I'm on a 60 power whatever. And you've got your little 25 power scope. So um, much less chance for arguing then rather than having somebody's wife trying to work a spawning scope. And it's their very first time in that environment at all. They don't know anything about precision rifle and get put behind a scope, which is what happened to me also uh, in 2009. That's what hooked me on the sport was Tim put me behind a spawning scope. Um, much easier to argue with them and bully them, which is unfortunate. So right. we need more of the top level guys to take a weekend off and RO. And they don't necessarily need to always be getting paid. <laughs> that was <laughs> something I saw on the internet the other day was, well, they should pay the ROs. Well, okay. I, I mean, I get it. I, I see that. But not, I don't, matches, match directors aren't making a small fortune when they're running a match. They're, we were in the red for years until um, we started figuring out how to ask people for different stuff to make it so that we were able to afford hotel rooms and stuff for our staff last year. But, or a really cool club barbecue, which we did quite a few years also. But um, I think there are ways that, Maybe they just haven't been tapped to entice people to RO and volunteer their time. Well, <clears throat> you know me. I'm always working on new ideas and crazy things. So hopefully we'll see something about what we're talking about here in the near future that that we've been working on for a little while. Yeah. Um, that'll help professionalize and make the sport safer. Yeah, that that's going to be awesome. That, that's definitely something that we need to steer the sport towards um it, absolutely that'd be cool <laughs> I you just believe... left me speechless i've been babbling this whole time and you let you got me speechless. <laughs> <laughs> well it's actually it's actually perfect timing because i can't believe our uh our conversation here has already been o almost an hour oh, and crap. i still have to ask you you know my favorite question to ask everybody but we're definitely, I mean, this conversation has been phenomenal, so we're definitely going to have to plan to do this again. Um, and hopefully this time it won't take, you know, six months to make happen. <laughs> <laughs> for, for those of you that don't know, Regina and I planned to do this back in like September, October or something like mm -hmm. that. And we're just now with our schedules being able to do it here, uh, here today. So I, I really appreciate your time. But one of the questions that I'd love to ask everybody on the show is besides your standard typical gear, your rifle, your Kestrel, whatever, what are three things or items, superstitions that you must have or do before a match? Um, I have, I have lucky stones that I carry in my pack. I won't go to a match Ooh. without them. They have to sit, they have to sit in the sun for 24 hours. So, oh, so stupid. So stupid. Um, I'm a, this collection of, of of rocks is what Tim calls them, but whatever. It's my inner hippie coming out. So they have to sit in the sun for 24 hours to soak up the sun. Um, and I guess the moon then too, if it's 24 hours. That doesn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> then they go back in my pack and 
So like a talisman. So if I get nervous, then I rub them. Um, and they're just like yeah, regular stones you found uh-huh. somewhere? Or you no, no, no. Or... No, I bought them from the hippie store. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I looked up ones that had specific purposes. So I wear a tiger's eye necklace to keep the evil eye off me. Um, I'll, I've I got a lot of – I am probably the most superstitious person that you'll ever meet in your life. Like I have a lucky hat. In fact, that green camel hat from Vortex that is in a lot of pictures of me – I shot really well with it for like six months. And then I saw that they were going to discontinue it. I sent Scott Parks an email so fast. I'm like, can I have like five? So I have, <laughs> I have four or five more of them in case the one that's falling apart ever actually does fall apart. Um, I have lucky socks. I have, don't ask me what makes these things lucky either. Cause I still shoot like shit when I wear them sometimes, but in my mind, they make, <laughs> they make me lucky. <laughs> I have a list of four or five things that I say when I'm on deck before I go up to shoot to calm myself down. Well, I want to know what those um, are. I totally can't tell you what I those are. I want to know, dude. Come on. <laughs> That's huge. Mental preparedness is a huge topic for me. And if you've got five lucky or calming things to say, i got to know what they are. Well, if you you set a goal to be something that you've already achieved rather than a wish. So – um, so, I mean, it's stuff like, like I hit every target I pull the trigger on. Um, I'm going to build solid, I build solid positions all the way through whatever the course fire is. Um, all my wind calls are accurate. My bullets fly true, you know, stuff like that. So, That's awesome. um, so I'm talking my, it's basically talking myself out of nerves because my hands shake for the first four or five stages. So yeah, pro tip, not every pro is a pro. <laughs> we all still get nervous. Um, well, I don't know if some of the really top guys, guys that win matches all the time, I don't know if they do, but I would. I still get nervous at every match. First two or three stages, my hands shake like crazy. And when I hit the first target, I'm like, oh, oh, I, I, there have a couple been a couple stages where I literally have wanted to stop, look around and go, did you guys see that? Did you see that? I hit it because nice. um, I really didn't think I was going to. Like I thought, oh man, my wind call. I don't know if my wind call is going to be, oh, it hit. Um, but yeah, so I'm a big believer in mental preparedness being the actual key to success. So I can tell when my performance is slipping that I am not doing the things that got me to be successful in the past, like writing out in a journal, um, writing out goals in a journal, writing out a, basically a mission statement. Um, as if it has already happened, like I'm writing it as it's in the past. I did this great thing when the great thing is still coming up like in a week or whatever, uh, you write it as if it's already occurred. Um, then it, you trick your brain into thinking, yeah, I already did that. There's nothing to it, man. Easy peasy. Right. So that's that's my, that's my weirdo (laughs) ness. No, I think that's, I never thought of it. And, uh, obviously I think that is absolutely badass. You're visualizing your success before it even happens makes it that much more plausible to succeed. Yeah, I totally stole it too. Lanny Basham gets all the credit for that. So I'm going to steal it. <laughs> yeah. It's a, a book called With Winning in Mind. And I tell every person who asks me what is the one thing that I think they need in order to be successful in this sport. It's that book. And Daisy is barking at a cat in the backyard. I don't know if you can hear her through can hear my Daisy, headset. Yeah. yeah. That's my that's my Chihuahua who thinks she's a Rottweiler, yeah. So I tell every one of them with winning in mind from Lanny Basham. That's the book to get, not the audio book, which is also great, but the book book. And then do the exercises. Don't just read the book. So very cool. It's all, all mindset, goal setting, um, focus, and whatnot. <laughs> the, the, sorry, the other dog is down here sitting at my legs, um, looking at me like, Mom, why why won't she shut up? <laughs> hi yeah it's ranger hi she, ranger <laughs> so yeah it's an audio podcast but she just yeah up her yeah little dog so yeah my my other dog who's not barking yeah the, the girl cool. dog annoying. sorry no it's all good it's all good deep thoughts um, with regina and daisy <laughs> yeah like i said i mean our conversation just flew by today and I would love it if you had time to do a, another podcast in the near future. Um, tons of stuff I wanted to ask you that we didn't even get to touch base on. Um, so we're, you know, 
when we can make it happen again sooner than later, we're going to have to do that. Sure. That'd be fun. Awesome. awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. I mean, like I said, again, time flew by. Um, I can't wait to see you at the next match. Are you going to be at Jake's match this year? Mm-mm. No. What's your next match, um, by the uh, With that other league, uh, K&M, because I'm not actually expecting to re- repeat there, but, man, wouldn't that be cool? Um, uh, yeah, it would be very cool. My next NRL match, I think, is Rock Castle. Okay. Although heat stroke is on my list because I haven't shot heat stroke yet and I really want to. So that heat one is, is on my list. So, yeah. I, the only time I shot, I've shot that facility was the PRS finale a couple years ago with Janae. And, right. and I went, man, what, what's been holding me back from shooting here this whole time. It was fun. I really liked their match. So I would like to go again and check it out. So, so I saw it was on you guys' schedule, and since I've always wanted to do it, and I was free in July, so I'm, I don't. The registration isn't open for that yet, right? No, not yet. Soon. Okay. I think they're just waiting on uh, to um, clarify their title sponsor. Oh, gotcha. So, I'm gonna start hydrating now for that. Yes. So. <laughs> yes. It's not called the heat stroke for, for no reason. <laughs> we had a guy that had to get IVs when he went to that match, like the first year that they did it. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, no well, joke. <laughs> pro tip, the NRL trailer, we just installed air conditioning. So even if it's a million <laughs> degrees outside, we'll have air conditioning inside the trailer. And it's a heater. So if you're in Nebraska and it's freezing like we were a couple of weeks ago, we'll be able to stay warm. <laughs> well, at the heat stroke, I'm going to have to clean my gun a lot. <laughs> we spent a lot of time in the trailer. All right. All right, Regina, it's been a pleasure. I truly appreciate it. I will be talking to you soon. I look forward to seeing you at uh, future matches. Uh, for everybody that's listening, thank you for taking your time to uh, listen to Regina and I babble on. Uh, until next time, you guys be safe. Uh, see you guys at the range. Keep shooting, all that good fun stuff. And uh, we'll see you out at a match. Take care.